1: town. Hey, this is Steve Balton, and you are here on My Turning Point, where this week we are visiting Derek Wibley from Sum 41 in his Los Angeles home and studio. We're surrounded by t-shirts from Guns N' Roses, Black Sabbath, Tom Petty, uh, some of his favorite shows. So, great pleasure to be here today with Derek, and let's start in talking about his Turning Point moments. So, there's really no right or wrong. It's just basically for you, what you feel is the moment— that sort of set you on your way to where you are today?
2: It's tough, because I don't even know. (laughs) Because all I can remember is that I've wanted to do this. Like,
1: I guess... It can also be a personal moment. It can be, you know, so, but
2: whatever, yeah. I think, well, I mean, I I could talk about, like, you know, being sober was something that re-solidified probably more than ever. I mean... All I can remember is like from the very beginning of what I, you know, just from memory, like from six years old, I wanted to be a musician. And so I sort of followed that path. But I think once, you know, I felt like all the partying and everything that I'd done had caught up to me and I had ended up in the hospital and I felt like I was about to lose it all getting sober again, sort of resolidified even more than ever that all I really care about is playing music. I think I l- enjoyed music and I felt like it was just in me before and I just did it without thinking about it. Whereas once I felt like it was going to be gone forever, um, it made me start thinking about, well, you know, and it started respecting the fact that I play music and it sort of taking care of myself to play music. You know, that was probably a huge turning point for me. Um, Although it was in the middle of our career, you know. yeah.
1: But again, that's fine, and it's interesting because I think for most anything that you do from an early point on, and when I say you, I mean anybody, mm-hmm. there is that thing of of you kind of start to start it, you kind of sort of start to take it for granted a little bit totally. because it, it's just there. And it's interesting because I've been fortunate to speak with, like, for example, Alice Cooper, mm-hmm. who I. Love one of my favorite interviews of all time. And you know, so many musicians who've been sober for a long time have had that similar experience. And I remember I was talking to him once for Rolling Stone about it, and I asked him, you know, what was the turning point for him getting sober? And he's like, Well, when I woke up spitting up blood. Mm-hmm. You know, or with Duff again, talked about the fact that he got sober because he was gonna die. Yeah. Similarly, and then he started taking up martial arts. Mm-hmm. And it was finding his sensei mm-hmm. and sort of centering him in this stuff. So I think for what you're saying, it's a very common theme because, again, it's something that you want to do. And I think also, it's funny because, I mean, for me, I used to study creative writing. Mm -hmm. And there's a sort of romanticism that comes with the partying Mm -hmm. of creativity. Yeah, And I think especially when you're a young musician and you start to get into it and you start to have all this access, it's very easy for that to become sort of the lifestyle versus about making the music. Do you yeah. find that that was kind of the case for you a little bit?
2: In a way, like, I think you do get to a point where you do start taking what you do for granted because you just do it and, you know, the cycle continues. You make music and you go out and you play and um, and there's all this, this party as- aspect to it. And it's all just one big thing. And to, for a long time, you just want that thing to just keep going and you don't really think about much of it. And then... It gets. It, it can start to spiral a little bit, and you start partying a little bit more. Um, I mean, for me, the thing that took my drinking to a different level was not just partying. There was partying, but then I also have a back injury, and in, I was self-medicating that pain with alcohol. So that was the. That was the only time. Like when my back started getting really bad, around when I was like thirty, thirty-one, and thirty-two. It just every year it seemed to get a little bit worse, and so I started drinking a little bit more because of that on top of the party. So I was drinking at times when I wasn't partying because I had pain, but then I would party that night too. So it was just a, you know, I was doubling it all up and that's what got me into trouble. And then when it started getting to that kind of level, the music and performing kind of becomes an afterthought. You're not really thinking about it as much anymore. You're kind of thinking about what's going to happen after the show instead of the show, you know? And... Even though you enjoy playing, it's just like, okay, cool, we're going to do this for a bit, and then we're going to go out, and that's the exciting part. you know. Um, and that's when you start taking it for granted. Well,
1: it's really funny because the reason I was smiling as you said that is uh, there's a band that I will not name publicly, mm-hmm. but it's funny. Um, I've done more than my share of partying uh, over the years. Mm-hmm. I've only ever done Coke once in my life. I couldn't stand it. Okay. But what was really funny was, and again, I will not name the band, but they were playing a sold-out show at the John Anson Ford Theater mm-hmm. in L.A. And I was with the girl that I was seeing at the time, and she knew the band. Mm-hmm. They didn't even do an encore because the drummer was so excited to come with us to go pick up oh, the yeah. Coke.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> you know, so it's like, yeah, I think a lot of bands go through. You know, and by the way, the band is now... I think they got back together at one point. I don't know if they still are, but they were doing great. Yeah. You know, and they really enjoy it. I think it's a very common thing that happens. So it's interesting for you then. I'm curious, and we'll come on to the music. But this ties into too. I'm very excited by the way about Disrupt Tour this summer mm-hmm. because John Reese has become a good friend. Okay. You know, and I absolutely love Bert and Anthony. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bert from The Used and Anthony Green. It's just great people on the tour. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of really strong positive people there in terms of their sobriety and people who, you know, have a lot of good things going on. For you have there been people that you've looked to or that have become mentors or friends because like for example i mentioned alice cooper who's been sober for 30 years Mm -hmm. i don't know if you know him personally but again there's so many people in the industry Mm -hmm. who've had these experiences and that you can sort of learn from in terms of the whole because look it either goes one of two ways you either end up jim morrison Mm -hmm. or you end up slash and you're sober and you have a good life
2: yeah 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 i think um I think Duff was always sort of an inspiration, even before what happened, like that I, uh, when I had liver and kidney failure. Before that, when I always knew his story, and I obviously loved Guns N' Roses when I was growing up, um, and, but I knew his story, and I knew that he had gone through all that and gotten really healthy and was doing really well. And,. I used to say to myself, when I knew I was getting kind of bad, I was saying, okay, I'm not going to, I know I'm going to get a handle on this. I'm going to do the Duff thing. I'd always say to myself, you know, I'm going to get healthy. I know I'll get out of this. And I thought I would quit it and instead, you know, I, what happened to me is I ended up in the hospital. Um, but then when I got out, you know, Duff again, then was an inspiration because, you know, I, I reached out to him and I didn't know him at the time. I'd. Run into him a few times, but not enough to know him. Um, but I got his contact, and I contacted him, and um, you know he gave me some advice, and he was really great. And it just, but his story was m- really the more motivational, like inspirational kind of thing.
1: Well, it's interesting because one of the things he talked about when he was on the show was obviously getting involved with martial arts, mm-hmm. and then of course he was doing the financial column for yeah, both yeah. Playboy and the Weekly. So it's funny because um, you know I, I think what happens is you know, as you overcome addiction, <laughs> I remember talking about with Dave Navarro once and he's like, well, there's all this time that you used to spend on addiction mm-hmm. that you have to fill. So I'm curious for you, what have become those other interests or those those passions?
2: I always wonder about that because I don't really do anything different. Nothing has changed in my life other than now I just don't drink. Um, but again, I've always heard, you know, everybody's different and yeah. it's always different for everybody. And so I don't know what that means. Uh, I don't know... Why I haven't found something else that I do? Like I always like everyone always asks me. So you must drink a lot of coffee. I'm like, no, I don't have any caffeine. I never did, and I still don't. Um, you must work out all the time. Then I don't. You know, it's just I just still do the exact same thing I always did. Uh, just minus a drink in my hand. But what's interesting
1: about that, though, then you know, there isn't necessarily that obvious substitute. Mm-hmm. But we talked about the fact that you do appreciate music more. Yeah. So maybe in a sense. Music became that
2: thing. I've thought about that too. Um, it's it doesn't feel like music is much more in my life, but I definitely appreciate it more and respect it more. Um, and maybe I I don't know. Maybe I work on music more. I don't really know. It doesn't feel like I do. Um, so I don't know. I, I felt like when I was drinking before I started drinking to sort of curb my back pain. When I was just drinking to for fun and socially. I felt like I was pretty functional. I was always able to work. I always got work done. And and I wasn't just drunk all the time. It was just at it was probably drinking every day, but you know, at the right times it it felt like um so now that I just don't do that, uh I don't know. I don't I really don't know what has replaced it, I guess.
1: What's well, funny though cuz you also said before we got on air that you had been on tour. I asked you how long you've been in the house, and you said three and a half years. But mm-hmm. you've been on tour for three of those years. Yeah. So the other thing being that obviously you're just on the road constantly. Mm-hmm.
2: So, so that hasn't changed. That's how it always was.
1: Right. And you know. so, but it's also in terms of filling in that downtime. I'm sure there's also still the routine of be, of doing promo, mm-hmm. being on the road, things of that nature.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Everything's well. I mean, everything's the same. You know. I guess. Uh, the only difference now on the road is I have a little bit more, I, I just don't feel as rough. <laughs> like it, the time is a little bit easier on the road because, um, you know, when you're doing all that work and you are drinking that much, you do tend to feel pretty tired and pretty run down. And then you have some more drinks to bring you back up. And, um, it's that cycle of going up and down, up and down every day. So that's gone, you know. Mm-hmm.
1: That's funny, though, because I think one of the things that's cool, too, is as, as for anyone, as you step out of that, and especially for you who had an experience where you nearly died, mm-hmm. you do get to appreciate things more, and you have that different perspective. And it's funny, because even if it's not so overt, I mean, I'm sure that that passion for music— does feel a little stronger, and it's cool. Like for example, people can't see this because it's a podcast. Mm-hmm. You're wearing a Beastie boy shirt. Mm-hmm. Also in your studio, I've been loving all the t shirts. Yeah, yeah, going These all around shows that
2: I've gone to. Yeah,
1: yeah. So it's like that that passion, though. I mean, it's funny because you say that you knew you wanted to do this from when you were six years old. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like the passion is as strong, or maybe even stronger now than it was then? Because when you're six years old. You just think it's cool. You don't really know why it is you want to do it. It's yeah, an innate yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah. Versus now you've gone through the ups and downs. You've had, Gavin Rostow was just on the show and we were talking about those ups and downs. And he's like, well, that's what I call having a career. Because mm-hmm. everybody, no matter who you are, if you're going to put out music for 10 or 20 years, there's going to be things that people love oh, and there's yeah. going to be things that people say suck.
2: Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think the passion for music is probably stronger now. And also passion for the the work that goes into it. Um, a lot of the work, I mean, some of the work is not that fun, but it, it's still fun because it's like all a part of the thing that you love. Um, so I think, you know, like I said before, when, when you, we were partying a lot more, a lot of the work can feel like it, it really brings you down. Like you're so tired all the time, whereas I don't really feel that, super tired uh, feeling as much anymore. And I, I enjoy the whole process of making an album and putting it out and going out and touring and being gone for all this time. And, you know, it's still, I, I love it more now than I did before. It's I fun. thought touring would be, it, it sounds cause I, I thought touring was so fun when we were all partying so much, it was just this rolling party wherever we went. Um, and I thought, man, is it, would it be that fun sober i don't know and doing it now it's way more fun i'm having so much more fun on the road i'm not saying that it's it's just better to be sober i'm just for me i've done it the other way and it was great and it was fun this is sort of like a new adventure in a way and i'm having more fun now um just doing what i'm doing now Pro- again like because i think the way i was doing it before is just it got old
1: Well, the other thing too is I'm sure you feel much more present. So when you're on stage, Mm -hmm. you know, when you are, when you hear this crowd singing songs back to you, when you're interacting with fans, but be it before or after a show or when you're talking on stage, I'm sure in all of those moments, you're way more present and more focused.
2: Yeah. I mean, I will say the partying usually was mostly after the show. I don't think we really, I mean, we did. we drank before the shows, but not to a point where I was never really, a handful of times you you accidentally have a few too many, but it was like literally a handful. Um, most of the time, we were pretty in control before the show.
1: But like you said, even a lot of times you would be in the show, you would be thinking about afterwards. Exactly. Yeah, and yeah, you would yeah, be yeah. looking forward to, okay, where are we going? Which bar are we going to? you know, who's coming out with us, whatever it is. You're thinking about the party you aspect. You do start
2: having those moments, yeah. I mean, they were more towards the end of my whole drinking thing. But yeah, you do. You, you, like I said, you do start to take things for granted.
1: So again, having being in this perspective now. And I'm sure it's funny because I'm sure so much of it, as much as it's the, the being sober, mm-hmm. it's also, again, when you nearly die like you did, mm-hmm. when you wake up in the hospital... Mm-hmm. you know it, it makes you appreciate things in a different way and it certainly yeah. makes you be much more present it's not just not drinking mm-hmm. it's also again going through an experience like that
2: absolutely i yeah.
1: hope <laughs> that when you come out of it you do have a sort of a different appreciation for things
2: oh yeah definitely i mean and I mean,
1: when i say i hope you i mean i i'm referring to sort of the general you everybody yeah yeah. Yeah, yeah
2: yeah yeah i mean i think i think it's just without even thinking about it you just do you know it's just there i mean that's for me going through things like that yeah it's like i said i I had so much more passion about everything in my life
1: well it's fine for you now then and this comes back to too i mean i mentioned the disrupt tour right Mm -hmm. and i'm sure you've known all those guys for a very long time
2: some of them yeah
1: But I imagine as well, so there's something about sort of the camaraderie Mm -hmm. of playing with people you've known for a long time. Mm -hmm. And then there's also another interesting thing that comes about it, is that musically, there are songs that you did that you probably associate with those times, or songs that you would just do on autopilot because you simply had to do them, but you weren't feeling them that much because of where you were in life. But I guess what I'm getting at is, are there older songs now, or songs from that period, that almost feel new to you again because you are kind of a different person?
2: Um, Yeah, that's actually interesting. Um, There are... I mean, I've always felt like I've never gotten sick of playing songs, but there are songs, I guess, that become sort of new again, for sure, yeah.
1: So what are a couple of those ones that that either you didn't play for a long time? And it's funny, I can only refer to this from the perspective of a fan, but I know, for example, because you know what happens is you change in life, Mm -hmm. and as you change, you take on different meanings for songs because you hear them in a different way because you can now place them in the context of your life. Mm -hmm. What I always use as an example is Zeppelin, 10 Years Gone. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just a fucking great song. Mm -hmm. But it's funny, because when I heard that song when I was 10 years old, 10 Years Gone was not even born yet. So (laughs) I'm like, I don't understand what the hell this song is. It just sounds cool. Then you get older in your life and you're like, oh shit, now I get it. And Mm -hmm. this song is amazing. Mm -hmm. So for you, and it's funny because I think what happens as a musician, especially as you get older and there are songs you wrote like 15 years ago, you're a whole different person in life. Mm -hmm. You can almost start to look at them as a fan and see them from the perspective (laughs) of being a different person.
2: Yeah, I guess I don't really go back and look at our music that much like that. Um, well, it's, but but most, I know you
1: mean. I was just going to say, sorry, most musicians don't. Yeah. But it's when you have to play them live, or for example, when you're doing the greatest hits mm-hmm. or whatever, that then you can sort of have that moment. Because most musicians, it's it's funny. I mean, as someone who's interviewed thousands of musicians, I've talked about this with many people, and it's, it's kind of how do you tell the narcissistic sociopath mm-hmm, yeah. by the one who goes back and says he plays his own music.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, I think it's kind of I, I. It's cringeworthy to go back and listen. To, I can't listen to stuff. It's it's too too weird. Um,
1: but when you play it live, or when you, or when let's say you're in a store or something or whatever, it comes out. You know,
2: I think well, playing it live is the only way I would really sort of go back to play. Like this past tour we just did, we were playing some songs that we would never played or hadn't played in like 15 years, and um, that was kind of like an eye-opener because I sort of realized the, some of the songs that we just took out of our set were always, if it wasn't like the fastest or the the hardest song, we would not play it. But I didn't really ever think that, uh, you know we only started putting some of the sort of mellower ones back in the set because people were asking, why don't you play this? Why don't you play that song? And so we were like, well, I don't think anyone's going to like it. Really, it was just because we didn't like it. And so when we started playing it, now older and seeing the reaction and actually enjoying it on stage those are some of the songs that we kind of are sort of like hearing new again and yeah it's it was kind of a weird experience to sort of all of a sudden like a song that you hated before
1: well but that's funny because it's kind of what I was getting at in terms of the the how you change Mm -hmm. and I'm sure also there is that feeling of Again, it's it's like the mentality of uh, when you're younger, right? Mm -hmm. You think punk music is a certain thing. It's just, it's gotta be played at fucking 140 BPM (laughs) and it's just fucking fast and loud and aggressive. Mm -hmm. And then you get older and you can appreciate, okay, maybe the greatest punk album of ever time was John Lennon Plastic Ono Band Mm -hmm. because you look at the statements that made and the way that it was delivered mm-hmm. there was certainly a punk ethos and i'm not saying by the way that it's the greatest punk out but you yeah, know yeah, what i, I know mean what it saying. has a very punk of course, mentality yeah 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 so that that's that thing so for you as you've gotten older do you feel like the message kind of changes but also the way that you deliver it so it's like you can appreciate things in
2: a whole new way i think as i've gotten older i realize that even when i was younger what i liked was dynamics in music? I liked the up and down. When I started going back and listening to records that I remembered in high school, there's a lot of dynamics there. And when we were making records, we had songs that had some dynamics, but we wouldn't play them live because we just wanted everything to be on stun. Every song had to be, you know, fast, aggressive, and loud. And we we didn't. I don't think we knew how to have dynamics in our set back then. Um, and now I appreciate that and I enjoy that trying to build. A show that goes up and down, and and you can keep the attention and the excitement even with a slower song.
1: Well, it's funny. I mean, looking at the shirts you have here, right? Mm-hmm. The one that stands out is Tom Petty, oh, just because yeah, that's it's my a little favorite. different mm-hmm. musically. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, and I think he was one of the great songwriters who ever lived. Mm-hmm. So for you, when you think of those artists who had the dynamics, mm-hmm. and it's funny you look at like a Paul McCartney because for, even when you look at an Aerosmith mm-hmm. and the way they can mix in some of those '80s ballads mm-hmm. and um, you know, like a dream on mm-hmm. with then songs like Kings and Queens mm-hmm. and some of just the harder and even some of the bluesy stuff, mm-hmm. you know, they were great at that. So who are those artists for you that you really appreciate and admire for the way they did the dynamics you're talking about? Or when you think about now building a show going forward that you think that's the type of thing that we would want to do.
2: Um, I would say, I mean, that's difficult. I, I, I think Aerosmith is one of my favorites and I've seen a lot of shows and I do love how they, I I look at their show a lot and even though we're such different bands, I, I sort of use them as a reference of, uh, for certain things. Um, Tom Petty is probably one of my favorite songwriters. Um, and again, I don't know. I, I sort of, I find like I take something away from every show that I go to see. I mean, it could be metallica iron maiden and then the next night i could be seeing yellow you know um and there's always something that i always kind of take away i don't know whether it's good or bad i feel like i learned something at every show i go to and i go to a lot of shows
1: what was the last show you saw just for fun
2: um i think it was elton the forum was the last one um i don't know uh saw kiss the forum recently. Other than that, I, I I know I saw a few this year, but then we had to start touring, and that's when I don't get to see anything anymore.
1: It's funny, though. Some of those guys you mentioned, though, I'm ELO fanatic. Mm-hmm. Jeff Lynn is one of my favorite songwriters, musicians of all time. And, and I mean, you, I was at that Elton Forum show, right? Mm-hmm. And you talk about, I mean, there's 20-some, 50 years uh, of hits, mm-hmm. and that sort of mix. I mean, as a songwriter, I'm curious... Those things that, that you take away from watching those performers. And it's funny because I, I agree with you and Tom Petty being one of the great songwriters of all time. The one song of his that I go back to again and again and again and again and just always seem to gravitate to is Crawling Back to You. Mm-hmm. So, what's that Petty song for you that as a fan you wish you had written there's, and why?
2: There's so many. Um, but I think, because uh, it's kind of like what we were talking about before of like knowing a song from before, but ha- it has a different meaning after sort of a revelation I'd say once I got sober um a song that I already loved but meant so much more to me was square one um and I always loved that song but it just didn't speak to me the same way as it did once I got out and then hearing those lyrics Tom Petty for me is the only artist that I've ever sort of listened to that I've I have that feeling of like, man. I feel like he's talking about my life so many times, and I don't have that with anybody else. Like, I I like a lot of music, obviously, and I, but I don't have that connection that I've always heard about people talking about. You know, other than Tom Petty. You know, I feel like there's, you know, I always can even kind of joke about like uh, Tom Petty. I felt like helped me get divorced because you know, just some of those lyrics. It just sort of. I don't know. They just felt I was like, man. I feel like you're talking about my relationship. <laughs> you know, what's well, so
1: funny that you say that because Petty is one of those people. But I, I think for uh, every great songwriter, I talk about this with people all the time. Right? People ask what makes a great song. Universality. Mm-hmm. I, I think the most important thing to a great song is when you can hear it and you feel like it is speaking to you, Mm -hmm. or when you feel, and going back to Plastic Ono Band, John Lennon's Mother is the song I use as the Mm -hmm. prime example. Because again, you may never have lost your mother. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter. You can still feel the pain and the desperation he's going through. So it's so interesting for you as a songwriter, because obviously you have this connection with your fans. Mm -hmm. And as a songwriter, look, I I always put it, you try and do your best work, Mm -hmm. but you can't do your best work. Because if you do your absolute best work, There's nothing to shoot for going forward. Mm -hmm. I would say, like, look, if Coltrane had felt like he had done absolute perfection with the Love Supreme, what's the point of continuing to make music? Mm -hmm. So for you, what have been those moments as a songwriter where you feel like you've come closest to that universality and that feeling, and also where you've just heard from fans, that it's like, okay, this is a song that speaks to my life, that connects with me. And as a songwriter, that's the greatest compliment you can get, is when people say, this song has saved my life or helped me
2: in some way. Yeah, I mean, I do hear that from our fans. Um, uh, do you mean like a certain song? Yeah, are there particular songs there, there that you There are songs, yeah. There, I mean, there's a song that I wrote that I just sort of dismissed and never thought it was anything special whatsoever. I still don't even know if it is, but for some reason, it seems to mean a lot to people in their relationships. It's a song called With Me, and it was a slow ballad kind of song and i don't even think it was recorded very well i don't think the version that we originally put out was very good but for some reason that song was never a single um but we made a video for it because it was getting a lot of attention for some reason out of nowhere it it appeared on itunes top 10 chart for no reason wasn't a single it was a year after the album had come out and it stayed there for i don't know weeks and weeks so We said, well, we should probably shoot a video for this thing. So we did. Never thought about it ever again. We never played it. But the video is one of our biggest videos on YouTube. It's also a song that people always come to me and say it's their wedding song. Um, It was a song that I never really thought much about. You know, For some reason, it speaks to people.
1: It's funny. When that happens, can you then go back and listen to it and and hear it from their perspective and see like, okay, maybe now I get it a little bit more?
2: Yes, only because I came up with a different version of how to play it live. Once I started playing it on acoustic, and I mean, it starts out on the record acoustic, but it goes into like a sort of typical kind of heavy chorus because we're trying to not be too light, you know. So when I played the song for what it is and just kind of built it more, I don't know, just organically, I guess, like with... The five of us on stage kind of, there's piano in it now. So it just like, it just is a better arrangement to me. Um, And now I sort of get the song and I love playing it. And it always gets a great reaction. And I always think, how does anyone know this song? It was never released as a single.
1: But that's one of the cool things that exists today is, and it's been that way for, first of all, it's why I laugh when I talk with artists now about the idea of a single, right? We were talking about this the other day, Adam, the engineer. You know, we're friends. And, and, there's no such thing as a single anymore. Mm-hmm. Because the minute that you put out a record, all 12 songs are going up on YouTube and the audience is going to say this is my favorite song now.
2: Yeah, but the single, I mean in the that sense of having a big push behind it and marketing money put out for it to be everywhere, you know, like that's a single to me. It is a single,
1: but again, as you well know, with with me as an example, You can say, this is the single, and we're going to put a lot of money behind it, and we're going to do a video, and we're going to do a big push behind it. Mm -hmm. And then you say, that's a single. And then you go up, and you play the new album on stage, and there's a song that's track 11 that you feel like, eh, I don't know if it's a good song, but we're going to do it anyway. And that's the one the crowd loses their shit over.
2: It's really weird, and that's the only time that's ever really happened to us, I think. Or at least on that level. It's weird, I don't know. But it's
1: cool how it made you go back in and reappreciate the song. Yeah, now, but I see. can't
2: listen to it the way it's on the album. Mm-hmm. And the funny thing is, the reason why I finally heard it for what it is is because I was at a wedding and somebody used it, and that was the first time I had heard that. First time I'd ever somebody had ever said they were going to use it for their wedding song, and I thought, "Well, oh, okay, cool. That's strange, but uh, all right." And so I heard it. And when the chorus comes in, it's got all these heavy distorted guitars and uh, they're doing their dance. I just thought, no, this isn't right. This is not going to work for a dance. So I started coming up with a different version. And, you know, uh, then I started to really love the song all of a sudden. But that's, I mean,
1: also every artist is never satisfied with how a song is recorded. You always think that you can do it different. I mean, that's part of the curse of being the artist is being a perfectionist. I always go back to, I was fortunate to get to interview Don Henley, mm-hmm. who's one of the great songwriters of all time, right? We were talking about a song like Desperado and how mm-hmm. much that means to people. Yeah. He's like, I never want to say this publicly because I don't want to ruin it for people. He's like, but we were 24 when we recorded that song. And all I hear is that I want to redo the drums at the end. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that's one of the most beloved songs of all time. Yeah. I mean, isn't that just every artist? I mean, it's funny. i mentioned the idea of as an artist getting close to your best work Mm -hmm. not being able to do your best work because again that leads that needs to leave you something to shoot for but for you and especially as you've gotten older and you're getting more of a sense of creating the dynamics you want to do are there songs recently where you feel like okay we're not there just yet but i like feel like this is who I want some forty one to be on the next record and going forward. Those steps of those incremental steps mm-hmm. of just getting closer and closer to where you want to be as a songwriter.
2: I think sometimes, yeah, I feel like I feel like this newest record of ours I'm really happy with. Um, I feel like so I, I like our last record, Thirteen Voices, but it was written in a time that I was still just coming out of the hospital and relearning how to do everything. And I, I knew at the time that I liked the record but it was more of a record to just i needed to put that out so i could get back out on the road because i knew the next step for me was getting better i had to be out on the road so that was probably the only record where i felt like i like this record and it's this is the best i can do right now but i know i've got way more in me and i think when we got to this record i felt like you know this is much more of a, it's it's you're, get, you're again you're getting closer you're never you're so far away of what you hear in your head and what you're trying to do
1: so are there one or two moments in particular on the record where you feel like okay and again you feel like this is this is when you say getting closer that you feel like you can p- hear particular tracks or particular moments in there and feel like on the next record this is going to be this is a building block for where we're going in the future
2: I think, I just think that that's every record for me. Everything feels like it's, this is good, this is the best I can do right now, and I feel like the next record I'll get somewhere closer, you know, for what I'm trying to do. I mean, or at least I hope I can get somewhere closer. Um, But I don't know, again, like, we're also in that time of the record is not out yet, and the record was finished a few months ago, and I sort of, like... In this period, I always, you just kind of like don't want to hear it. You sort of forget what you just did in a way. Because it takes me about a year after a record's done to actually go back and hear what we've done. So I sort of forget everything.
1: (laughs) It's interesting you say that. One of my favorite quotes of all time was when I was interviewing Brandon Boyd from Incubus, who's been a friend for a long time. And I thought this quote was so interesting. He said it takes him two years to figure out what a record is about. Yeah. You know, because I think for most artists, when you're making a record, you're so in the midst of it, Mm -hmm. it's hard to get that perspective on it. So it's interesting, when you go back now and hear a record like 13 Voices now mm. with that distance, I mean, do you hear themes in there, for example, that really stand out to you? Or again, because you were going through such personal upheaval at that time, that you're almost surprised by some
2: of the things that emerged in there. Um, I just think, I haven't listened to it in a while. I did, for some reason, hear one song recently, and I remember thinking, I was glad that I said it. You know, it was um, the first song on the record and I'd come across a demo. That's what I was, and I didn't know it was labeled something weird. So I was like, what is this? I was going through some old things. I'm like, what is this song? And I listened to it. I'm like, oh yeah, that's the demo for Murder of Crows, which is the first song. And it had all the words in there. And I was like, it was a real fuck you to a lot of people in my life at the time. And the, the whole line was, you're all dead to me. And I knew, I wrote it because I knew all those people in my life were going to be listening to see what I was about to do. And that was the first song, and it was the big fuck you to everybody. And I knew they all heard it. And so I was really, it just reminded me of like, I'm really glad I did that. All right. Now,
1: Disrupt Tour, let's talk about this for a second. I've mentioned it a couple of times. I mean, talk about that. You know, for you, are there bands that you're particularly excited to go out on the road with to play with? I, I mean, is it one of those things where I talk about this with people so much? When you do packages like this, it's kind of like, for example, tomorrow I'm going to K Rock Weenie Roast, which I know you've played in the yep, past. Yep. It's kind of like a reunion.
2: In some ways, I mean, I don't know everybody on the tour. I mean, we know the used, and that'll be great to see them. And you know, they're they've been friends, and they're a great band. Um, I'm excited to see Thrice. I don't know them. Um, so, but I, I, you know, I respect them. And I like their music, so I'm excited to see them and, and possibly get to know them. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's not a ton of people that we really know that well. Some people we've kind of just met in passing and stuff like that, but it, I like the lineup. I think it's going to be great. I think the audience is going to be cool and they're big venues and it's, uh, I wish we were doing more of it. We had to do summer festivals in Europe, so we couldn't do the whole thing, um, But yeah, I think we're doing two and a half weeks, and we're excited about it.
1: So off the new album, which is not out yet, as Mm -hmm. you say, are there songs that jump ahead a couple months, you're on the road, Mm -hmm. that you're particularly excited to do live?
2: Well, the funny thing about that like, is, I'm excited about some of the slower songs, which (laughs) there's not that many on the record. It is more of a faster, louder, heavier record, I guess. But there are two slow songs on there, um, or slower, and... Yeah, I'm kind of excited to play those for some reason. I don't know what that is. Now I'm like kind of going the opposite. I enjoy playing the mellower ones. Um, I think there's just more of a moment, I guess. I think the the fast ones are 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 fun and everyone goes crazy and there's circle pits and people are beating shit out of each other and that's fun to be a part of. But it's also exciting to kind of bring it down and see if you can create a moment. You
1: know. So when you think about since you go to a lot of live shows. Mm-hmm. Those times when you've had that moment, mm-hmm. maybe it's a, a again it's an Aerosmith with the Dream On. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's a Guns and Roses with. Um, I love the song uh, "Don't Cry." That's yeah. one of my favorite from them. that. That was I,
2: like one of my favorites growing up. When that came out, that was like my favorite song in the world at the time. Although I don't know when the hell the last time they played it was. Yeah,
1: but for you, so so when you think about what was the last time, or or what was what are some of the most memorable times you've seen an artist create that moment for you?
2: Uh, I would say Tom Petty. Um I saw two shows on this on his last tour. I saw the Toronto show and then the very last show at the Hollywood Bowl. And both of those shows, I'd say the Hollywood Bowl one was probably I mean it was the best show I'd ever seen and I was saying that like the second we left the bowl, my wife and I were like that was the best show of all time for us. That we'd ever seen, couldn't believe how great it was. The moments that you sort of felt um that I don't you don't feel that a lot. It's just like I don't know, there was just certain like breakdowns and like mellow parts that you just kind of, it just made you feel something. And I was with two other people and the four of us were just saying the same thing. It was just such a great experience. Um, And then, you know, six days later he died. Um, But yeah, I don't know. I... I mean Aerosmith does that for me too. Um, I was just thinking, actually, the last show I did see when you you were asking me about the last show, I saw two shows in a row. It was John Fogerty and then Aerosmith the next night, and I was in Vegas about a month ago. And both those shows were so different, but like so great. And to see both those guys who are around the same age, you know, the early seventies, both sounded exactly the same as they used to. Moving around, great. Everything was great. You know, they were they sounded awesome.
1: Well, we're going to kind of wrap up on that note in a minute, but before we do that, sure. since we were talking about the fact that uh, you know location mm-hmm. earlier, and you mentioned a feeling of Toronto, mm-hmm. dude, I got to ask you about the finals. I mean, have you been following? Are you are you? I, I'm going to take it you're not Drake level of Psycho. <laughs> no, but, no, I'm not.
2: Um, <laughs> I, You know what? I meant to find out what what it was, where, where it's at right now. Uh, 2-1
1: Toronto, because I'm a big basketball fan. I've been I'm falling. a
2: big basketball fan, but we've been really busy and traveling, and uh, I I saw the first game, mm-hmm. and I have not been able to see anything else. So, yeah, obviously I'm rooting for Toronto. <laughs> so So now, it's funny, because I don't know. I think Toronto wants this really bad, and that's sometimes that's that could be enough,
1: well, it's just because I, I look back and I think of like I, I'm pretty sure the Blue Jays won a couple of World Series back in the day, yeah, yeah, they're so th- but it's repeat, I, I obviously never had uh, this is the first time the Raptors have even been to the NBA final mm-hmm. for you as a Toronto native mm-hmm. if they win the title. Do you have to go home for the parade? And by the way, <laughs> that would be a hell of a show because it's funny. Next week, I think I'm interviewing Dallas Green from City and Color, who uh-huh. I'm a massive fan of, mm-hmm. and he's like a psycho sports fan as well. Not as public about it as Drake. Okay, but but would we see like the Toronto Championship Tour of you <laughs> and Drake and City and Color out on the road celebrating the? Uh, that would be a hell of an interesting triple it bill. It would
2: be interesting. I don't know if it would make a lot of sense, but um, yeah, I don't know. I, I I don't see that happening, <laughs> but but would you at least go home
1: for the for the parade or you're not you know?
2: Well, I mean, if it were to happen, I think I'm going to be in Europe. <laughs> I think I already have previous engagements, but I would if I was off, then yeah, I, I would 100% go for sure.
1: <laughs> cool. Going back to the the, I just have to ask as a basketball fan. And by the way, Game Four of the finals is tonight, so okay. it's it's on the mind and and not going to lie, uh, it, as someone who has no vested interest. Mm-hmm rooting for the Raptors 100% because I freaking hate the Warriors. Okay. I just think they're bad for the game of basketball, and I'm over them. (laughs) Really? Yes. Okay. Oh, that's funny. Adam Duritz and I had a long conversation about this once. I love Adam Duritz, and we agreed to disagree, and he finally understood that if you're not from Oakland Mm -hmm. and hadn't gone through the 40 years of suffering that Warriors fans went through Mm -hmm. from the 75 championship to the last couple years, Mm -hmm. he's like, I can see how if you haven't gone through that, you could hate the Warriors. Yeah. You know? Because again, getting Durant, all that stuff, but yeah, yeah. that's a whole other matter. So, going back to the 70s, and this ties into what we were talking about for the turning point moment at the beginning that new appreciation of music. Mm-hmm. It's funny, I mean, when you see, and Stephen of course has been sober for years, mm-hmm. and he is, I love Stephen Tyler, and he's a great dude, I don't know if you've been yet to he does now this annual Grammy viewing party mm-hmm. where the proceeds go to Janie's Fund, which helps I've underage, heard about it. yeah it's a great event, and it helps victims of sexual abuse and mm-hmm. women who've been trafficked and things of that nature and I, I think, you know, as you get older too, doing these charity things these philanthropy things, also give you more purpose to your music and mm-hmm. things like that so for you having gone through the things you done when you watch these guys mm-hmm. and you see a Fogarty who's in his 70s. And I mean, come on, you're talking about the guy who basically wrote half the great American songbook mm-hmm. and you see Steven Tyler and you see how vested he is in doing this stuff. How much does that motivate and inspire and excite you to look at the prospect of doing music 30 years, 25 years down the line and also to, to really be able to do stuff and give back and, and use the, the you know, success you've had?
2: Yeah, I'd say all of it. I mean, it's it's it definitely makes you. I mean, seeing all these guys and and what they do and how well they do it inspires you. And for somebody like me, that's all I want to do is play music. I uh, I am one of those people. I think will always play music as long as I can. You know, and seeing guys like that is inspiring, for sure. Cool. What do you want to add? We didn't talk about. Hmm, I don't know. I'm never good at that. I feel like we talked about a lot of stuff.
1: <laughs> is there one that is there one artist that you look at? And it's funny because I was at. You mentioned Petty at that last show at the Bowl. Mm-hmm. I got to see him five times that year. I saw him at Bottle Rock. I saw him at Arroyo Seco. I saw him at a what the fuck was it? Uh, Music Cares, where he was honored. Mm-hmm. The Bowl, you know. And and, I, and it's funny that you say you you said it was the best show you saw ever seen that night. Mm-hmm. I had written a review for Forbes about the fact that it was like the best tour of his life. Mm -hmm. And, you know, after he passed away, it got shared everywhere. But just, it seemed like he was having so much fun, Mm -hmm. you know, and watching him up there. And and just, it was such a celebration. Mm -hmm. And that was a particular one that stands out to me of someone who had done music for 40 years and was still loving it. Yeah. So, I mean, is there one or two moments or things or artists you know, in addition to Patty, that you could see that, that have particularly inspired you of late as you watch them and you mentioned seeing Aerosmith and Fogarty.
2: I was going to say Aerosmith has always been that for me as well because of their career, like the ups and the downs of it. It's that's something, it's I don't know, it's inspiring. It's just one of those stories that. You, if you are in those lows in your own life you can say well you know it can happen you know you can get back up because look at Aerosmith you know, or something like that I, I like their story for those for that reason and I love their music cool this is Steve
1: Balton you've been here on My Turning Point with Derek Wibley Sum 41 dude thanks so much for having us in your house it's been great and we will see you next time on My Turning Point
2: Cancer, you're probably worried that your child is feeling scared, sad, or alone
1: when all you want is for them to just feel like a kid. Camp Kesem is a free week-long overnight camp for children ages 6 to 18 who have a parent facing cancer and was created for kids like yours to have a joyful and empowering summer. Kids have a blast together enjoying camp activities surrounded by a compassionate community of friends. Register your child for a free life-changing adventure at kesem.org camp. If you look around, there are so many ways to make a difference. At Capella University, our FlexPath format gives you a different way to earn your degree. Take courses at your speed. Move on whenever you're ready. Education should fit your life. Learn more at capella.edu.
0: It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football